considering what's going on in the nation. And uh, it's from my devotional, and it's excellent. And this is entitled, Shortage Becomes Excess. Shortage Becomes Excess. And then she, she prefaces all this with, with God speaking prophetically. He says, watch me increase the excess now, says the Lord. For where you felt like there was just barely enough to get by, I shall provide not only enough, but more than enough so that your shortage becomes excess in this time. Say excess in this time. And then she quotes Deuteronomy 28, 5, Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. She says so many people live paycheck to paycheck, and it seems they have barely enough money to make it until the very end of the month. In a world where recession has become rampant, some have suffered from lost wages or even job losses. Savings have dwindled and for many people have disappeared altogether. One of the key prophecies God spoke to Israel through the mouth of Moses was if the people would keep trusting God in hard times, God would see to it that restoration hovered over their storehouse. How many of you want restoration hovering over your storehouse? This was speaking of excess resources that are set aside for future use. God was preparing Israel to not be moved by circumstances that didn't seem to be going like they wanted. Can we relate to that? How much are eggs now a dozen? He wanted them to know that no matter what, even when resources were lean or hard to find, he would see to it that blessing would return to their savings and their storehouse. But you need to expect it. God wants to pour excess into your life because he's a big God. Even when it seems that there's not enough provision to go around, we have to believe it simply because God is supernatural. It's excess in the middle of shortage that shows the glorious power of God in action. We need to expect that kind of outpouring because we serve the Lord who turns shortage into excess. Amen? So, in the days ahead, folks... Don't get caught up with all this talk about shortage, you know, and price gouging. And, you know, the prices are going up at the grocery store. She comes home and she tells about what's going on. Have you noticed that? Amen. Well, let's stand up because I want to read this prayer together in unison this morning. Because we serve a God of excess, a God who's more than enough, a God that'll supply all of our need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Father, I know that you are the God of excess in times of shortage. You bless my savings even when resources seem low. I ask you to fill my storehouse and cause blessing upon it right now so that I have more than enough in Jesus' name. Say it once more. We have more than enough in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Ushers, you can kindly wait upon the people. If you need an envelope for your giving, raise your hand and they'll see that you get one.
I'll remind you that uh, service is Wednesday night, prayer is at 6.15, and then Sunday morning is donut day, amen. I want you to look in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. We've been on a, a, a short series and, and uh, we'll have a couple more Sundays and, and uh, this is number 3 entitled, How Big Is Your God? How big, I'm asking you today, how big is your God? He's big. I've always loved this scripture in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It states, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly, say that, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. You need to meditate on that scripture. Every day, especially in the times in which we live. Now, we said our purpose statement was this. As Christians, we must believe that our God can and is willing. See, many people believe God can, but is he willing? To do what? To exceed our highest expectations. Sad to say because of an attitude of indifference and a lack of understanding of the power that works in us, we limit God by not asking big or thinking big. If the church is going to minister effectively to the harvest of souls that's coming, we must personally and corporately adopt and exercise a kingdom mindset of growth and expansion. This mindset will believe big, Dream big, pray big, and ask big. If we do this at Harvest Church, if you do this with your own family, what will happen? Big things. And I really believe um, God is dealing with His people in the days to come, no matter what we see, you know, in the government. You've got to start envisioning Him as a God that can do big things. With your job. Amen. You know, sometimes we're hesitant in asking him. But see, my Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace. To obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly. Not cowardly, but boldly. Why can you and I come boldly before his throne of grace? Because we're sons and daughters of God. So if you got an issue with your business, an issue with your family, an issue with your finances... God is a big God, and you need to go to Him and ask Him. Amen? Now, we've looked at some, a couple gentlemen. We've looked at Abraham. We've looked at Joseph. We're, today, we're going to look at Joshua and the children of Israel. But we're looking at four examples of believing big, dreaming big, praying big, and asking big. Now, Kaylee's typed these up, and you get them as, at the door so you can... Look at these. They're very simple. Take them home and the scripture references are there and that will help you. Many times, folks, we forget what the preacher preached last week. 
That's why I've always liked series. I always like to build on series because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word. So I'm not going to review today, but you can review. Amen? Amen. So today we're looking at Joshua. And we're going to look at keys to praying big. Say praying big. We need to pray big prayers. Why? I just told you because we can come boldly before his throne of grace. Amen. His ears are open to the cry of the righteous. I want you to look in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And verse 1. Keys to praying big. Number one, there's just three today. Keys to praying big prayers. Stay kingdom-minded in your prayers. Say that. Stay kingdom-minded in In your prayers. Luke chapter 11. Verse 1 says it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased that one of his disciples said to him. Lord teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. So he said to them when you pray say. Our father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. For we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In my Bible, under my kingdom dynamics, it says the the ministry of the kingdom. Jesus' words, your kingdom come, are more than a suggestion to pray for a distant millennial day. For everything in this prayer is current. This prayer is not a formula for repetition so much as it is an outline. I like this. An outline for expansion. Say expansion. Worship is to be longer than a sentence. Petitions are not confined to bread. Forgiveness is to be requested in specifics, not generalities. And prayer for the entry of God's kingdom into present earthborn situations is not accomplished in a momentary utterance. The verb mood and tense of your kingdom come essentially says, Father, let your kingdom come here and now. Say here and now. Such prayerful intervention is called intercession. Motivation towards such prayer occurs when we recognize the importance Jesus placed on prayer in helping us serve. Now listen, this is good. In our roles as kingdom administrators. We're kingdom administrators. Without the intervention of God's kingdom rule through prayer, earth's circumstances will succumb to inevitable consequences. Earthly scenes of need must be penetrated by God's will here as in heaven. Either the weakness of a human being's rule, the flesh, or the viciousness of hell's works, the devil, will prevail. God's power alone can change things and bring heaven's rule or heaven's kingdom instead. And the honor and the glory for prayer's answers are his. However, the praying is ours to do. Unless we ask for the intervention of his kingdom and obey his prayer lessons, nothing will change. All kingdom ministry begins with, is sustained by, and will triumph through prayer. So prayer is important. This has always been a church that prays. And... uh Especially the last two years with what's going on in the nation. And we're just not a, a church that comes to pray for you and us three and us four and no more. It's 
beyond these four walls is to pray for our city. It's to pray for our straight state. It's to pray for our nation. It's to pray for the world. Amen. So we need to stay kingdom-minded in our prayers. Now listen, kingdom prayers will be unselfish prayers that will advance God's kingdom rule and reign. John Wesley said it seems God is limited by our prayer life, that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. If you want to discover, now listen, you might not want me to read this. Should I skip number five? If you want to discover how spiritually mature you are, take spiritual inventory of your own prayer life. How much do you pray for yourself or just your family in comparison to praying for the things pertaining to God's kingdom? Some of you can't even pray pray for your preacher consistently weekly. See, kingdom prayers are kingdom prayers that go outside these four walls, folks. It's just not praying for your, your, your food needs and, and your own interests. You're interested in things that go on outside in the world. We're kingdom-minded people. We're in His kingdom. Once we're born again, we're in His kingdom. And we need to be kingdom-minded. We need to pray kingdom-minded prayers. Amen. The Bible says in Matthew 4.23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. See, the number one priority is the gospel of the kingdom. Yes, we're involved politically, but first and foremost, it's the gospel. It's teaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, and then healing the sick. That's what Jesus did. But once he did that, he influenced, you know, he's influencing now the whole world. We need to be kingdom people, kingdom-minded people, and be interested in the interests and the concerns of other people. So get outside your, your family. There's nothing wrong with praying for your family. Pray for your family. Pray for your kids and your grandkids. But start making it a prayer project. Pray for your, pra- your preacher. Pray for the church. Pray for those in authority in Norfolk, Nebraska. Pray for, you know, down at the Capitol for those senators. Pray for our nation. Amen. I, I, I've given you, and I've quoted this before, but it's so good. Always surround yourself with something bigger than you are. Well, is the kingdom of God bigger than your kingdom? Yeah. Always surround yourself with something bigger than you are, for that's where God is. I like that. So if you get involved with something bigger than you, and it just blows your mind, guess what? That's where God is. Amen? Convention of States, Patriots United, Child advocacy, school board, some of that's bigger, isn't it? Those projects are bigger, but that's where God is. So stay hooked up and stay doing that. Amen? Number two, exercise your covenant responsibility to take action and stand in the gap for others. Look at Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel 22. I'll give you half hour to find that. 
Ezekiel 22, and I want you to look at verse 30. Exercise your covenant responsibility to take action and stand in the gap for others. That's why we pray big prayers, because we're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for other people and other circumstances and situations. And Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God says this. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. And stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. That I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So God's looking for someone to, to, to heal that breach, that gap in the wall. And a gap is a metaphor for intercession between God and man. Again, in my Bible commentary, it says, The heart of God is searching for those who will answer the need for someone to stand in the gap. The picture is clear. Without someone in place, invasion of the darkness occurs, and eventual destruction of people takes place. What do you think has happened the last few years with the school system? There's been a gap. There's been a breach. And because of that, darkness has entered in. But see, now what are we doing? We're standing in the gap. Amen? Answer the Holy Spirit's call. Don't allow the price that needs to be paid make to make intercession a passive issue. It will cost time, energy, purity of motive, sleep, and greater faith than most other things we do. Immediate results are seldom seen. That's encouraging, isn't it? Sometimes we may wait for many years to witness God's answer, or it may occur beyond our own lifetime. Let us be the opposite of neglect referenced in Isaiah. God has made it clear from Genesis to Revelation that prayer is the match that lights the fuse to release the explosive power of the Holy Spirit in the affairs of men. Let us give priority time to that. Amen? Now, Let's look at Joshua, because that's where we're, we're going to talk about today. This is the third one. And this is such... <laughs> you can't ask bigger or pray bigger than what Joshua did. And I bet you're going to realize where I'm going with this. Joshua's chapter 10. And let me give you a bit of a history, just back up a little bit in in Joshua chapter 9, they, they, you know, they, cr- they cross the Jordan River and God's given them a command to go in and, and take Jericho. Well, Jericho was just the beginning. There were other cities full of giants that had to be taken. And as a result, some of these area kingdoms had heard about the nation of Israel. And don't kid yourself, they were afraid. And as a result, you know, they knew that Israel was going to come in and attack them and annihilate their kingdoms. Well, there, there was one kingdom, and they were the Gibeonites. Gibeon, say Gibeon. And they were very shrewd and deceitful people. But because of that shrewdness and that deceit, their lives were spared. They knew that that basically Israel would make covenant with people from distant lands and incorporate them into that in Israel's in God's kingdom. And so they had a plan and they hatched a plan. And basically, you know, the story, I won't I won't read it to you. 
I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Some of them, you know, packed their bags and made it look like their provisions were old, the bread was moldy, their shoes were worn out. And as a result, they come and they hook up in in Joshua. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 9, it says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not ask the counsel of the Lord. Now, what had happened, they'd come to Israel and say, basically, we've come from a far away, and we want to make a treaty with you and make a covenant with you, and we've heard about you. And instead, Joshua did not heed the voice of God. He did not even, and the leadership did not go to God and find out what they should do. And it says in chapter 9, verse 14, that the men of Israel took some of their provision, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with the Gibeonites and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So guess what? They made a covenant. It's done. They were shrewd people. Well, guess what? They found out. They were only about 20 miles away. (laughs) That's where they were from, 20 miles away. But yet, Joshua had no choice. He made a covenant, and he had to live up to his word. It says something about covenant. It says something about integrity. As a result, Joshua made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation. In other words, they became slaves the rest of their life. But guess what? They were breathing. They were alive. Amen? Now, let's pick up in chapter 10. I'm going to read this to you in verse 1 through 11. Now, it came to pass, see, when, the, when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, and he'd done to Jericho and its king, so he'd done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. So all the other area kingdoms were really upset now, and they're going to attack Gibeon. Then they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japha, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together, went up, they all in their armies, and camped before Gibeon, made war against it. Now I suppose Gibeon's quaking in their boots. They're shaken. They're they're fearful. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now, was Joshua and Israel supposed to do that? Why? Covenant. Covenant. That's why your word's so important. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you better do it. Because if your word's no good, you're no good. Say that. If my word's no good, I'm no good. So so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not 
fear them, for I have delivered, delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And is that good news? So Joshua and Israel could just sit down and let God do whatever he wanted to do. No, I don't think so. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Mekedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. Now that's cool. Why can't that happen in Washington, D.C.? My flesh would just love to see God rain down hailstones. There were, there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. But yet you, you need to see, God promised Joshua and the nation of Israel he'd come through for him. But here Joshua and his army marched all night to do their part. See, God's promised a lot of things in the Bible. We still have a responsibility to pray. Amen? Then Joshua spoke to the Lord of the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And this is what he said in the sight of Israel. And this is, this is awesome. You talk about a leader, a bold leader. He spoke directly to the Lord. And this is what he said. Sun stands still over Gibeon, moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there had been no day like that before or after it that the Lord heeded. The Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua was not born again. Joshua was under the old covenant. How much better, how much better of a covenant do we have? Built upon better promises. And yet this man spoke directly to the sun and the moon. That's awesome. But that's old covenant. That was audacity. Was it not? Yes, it was. Praying big requires us as believers to be kingdom minded and consider the needs of others. That's what I want you to see. Joshua and the nation of Israel had to help the Gibeonites. They were in covenant with them. And they helped them. And that's the thing in the days ahead, folks. We've got to pray big prayers to help other people. Do you know how much we prayed, this church prayed? And I keep going back to this, but I'm proud of the fact that our church took time to pray for convention of states and it was passed. That doesn't mean others, others were praying too. I, I understand that. And then we prayed for the school board. And guess what happened? But see, we've got to pray big prayers because there's things going on out there in the world right now. They need help. 
And that's what the church is for. Not just come through the door and, and sing a couple songs and, and have a nice message that tickles your ears and send you back out. No, it's to stir you to the very core. We're kingdom administrators. We need to be kingdom-minded. And we need to pray kingdom-minded prayers. We've got to, we've got to think big here in our community. Because other churches aren't doing their job, folks. They're social clubs. They're bless me clubs. They're religious clubs. And they're not fulfilling kingdom business. This church was ordained to be a kingdom-minded people. To advance the kingdom of God. To invade the city spiritually. You're awful quiet. But what I'm saying is the truth. It's not now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I, I, I should die before I wake. That's what I had to pray when I was growing up. What an ungodly prayer. What about my folks? They could die before they wake. My father did. I found him dead in bed. We've got to get beyond this. Just me, myself. My, my family. And that's the one thing about this area. Too small-minded. Little communities, too small-minded. Just concerned with their own interests, their own needs. And they can't get beyond their own four walls to see humanity that's out there that needs deliverance, that needs the gospel. Boy, you're quiet. Am Am I preaching not right? Is my preaching off? What took so long? I hope you're listening to me. Because in the days ahead, this church has to think bigger. Dream bigger. Pray bigger. And ask bigger. Because there's lost humanity out there. There's people out there that need us. And social clubs aren't going to deliver people. But the gospel will. I got myself all riled up. I need a drink. Praying big requires us as believers to be kingdom-minded and consider the needs of others. The last one, number three. It's on your sheet. Be bold in exercising your God-given authority. Be bold in exercising your God-given authority. Why is this nation in the mess it's in? I hear something. That's a chainsaw. Oh, that's Pastor Brad. (laughs) He's doing an illustration with the chainsaw. I forgot it. That was going to be a horror movie there for a little bit. Be bold in exercising your God-given authority. This book was written a few years ago by Lance Wallnow and Bill Johnson. And, and it, I want to read to you a portion of this about authority. 
And this is what he says. We've been given authority over this planet. It was first given to us in the commission God gave to mankind in Genesis. And was then restored to us by Jesus after his resurrection. But kingdom authority is different than is typically understood by many believers. It is the authority to set people free from torment and disease and to destroy the works of darkness. It is the authority to move the resources of heaven through creative expression to meet human need. It is the authority to bring heaven to earth. It is the authority to serve As with most kingdom principles, the truths of humanity's dominion and authority are dangerous in the hands of those who desire to rule over others, like uh, Biden. These concepts seem to validate some people's selfishness. But when these truths are expressed through the humble servant, the world is rocked to its core. Becoming servants to this world is the key to open the doors of possibility that are generally thought of as closed or forbidden. Neither our understanding of servants or of kings can help us much with this challenge, for both are soiled in our world probably beyond repair. That is where Jesus comes in. He's the king of kings, yet the servant of all. This unique combination found in the Son of God is the call of the hour upon us. As truth is usually found in the tension of two conflicting realities, we have an issue to solve. Like our master, we are both royalty and servants. Solomon warns of a potential problem, saying the earth cannot bear up under a slave when he becomes king. Yet Jesus contradicted Solomon's warning without nullifying the statement by being effective at both. Jesus served with the heart of a king, but ruled with the heart of a servant. I like that. This is the essential combination that must be embraced by those longing to shape the course of history. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. So before God, I'm an intimate. I am intimate. Before people, I'm a servant. Before the powers of hell, I'm a ruler with no tolerance for their influence. Are you listening? Wisdom knows which role we are to fulfill at the proper time. So there's times we serve. Amen. There's times we're intimate with God. Then there's times we take the bull by the horns. Amen. He says, there are seven realms of society that must come under the influence of the king and his kingdom. For this to happen, we as citizens of the kingdom must invade. The dominion of the Lord Jesus is manifest whenever the people of God go forth to serve by bringing the order and blessing of his world, of his world into this one. Then he goes on to say, and I'm not going to read this, but how many of you know the seven mountains? How many, how many, how many have heard that? Seven mountains that we're supposed to invade is the church, business, education, the church, family, arts and entertainment, science and medicine, government. Everyone say education. Everyone say government. The kingdom of God's called to invade those. This church, we're called in this community to have an influence with those seven mountains. I believe that with all my heart. Joshua... In chapter 10, and I read it to you, used his authority 
and spoke directly to the sun and moon, which delayed the sunset and gave Israel more time to conquer their enemies. Amen. Look at um, Luke chapter 10. I'm almost done. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 18. Luke 10 and verse 18. I already gave you the scripture from Hebrews 4.16 on coming boldly to the throne of grace. Ephesians 3 verse 11 says, In whom or in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence. So we as believers, we have authority, we have boldness, and we should be confident about exercising that authority. Jesus said in in Luke 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Every, now listen, every born-again believer, how many, how many have born-again believers? Let me see your hand. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Every born-again believer has authority over the devil. Not just like you see. I kind of go through YouTube, and I've I've been listening to Catholic priests who are um, exorcists. Just to kind of see what they do, how they handle it. It's a little different, but I think they get the job done. But, you know, we have authority. We don't need to go to the Catholic priest, cast the devil out. You can do that. I can do that. Amen? It's the truth. Now, every born-again believer has authority over the devil and the legal right to use the name of Jesus, but not all believers have revelation of that authority or the fact that they should exercise it. So you're here today, you might be a born-again believer, but you might not realize you have authority over the devil, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. You have authority in the name of Jesus. If someone's harassing you or your family, you have authority. And I thought of this illustration. You can own every (laughs) DeWalt tool that was ever made. Wouldn't that be something? Caleb, you, is there a certain one you'd like? Brad? Oh, Brad's not here. He, he, Brian's here. How many of you used DeWalt tools? You could own every one. Wouldn't that be something? You can go to Baumgarten and buy every DeWalt tool that was ever made. But that doesn't mean you know how to operate them. You might own that DeWalt tool. And it might be in the box, in your shop, but you've never opened it, you've never used it, because you don't know how to. And that's the issue with Christians. They have authority, but they don't know how to use that authority. Folks, in the days ahead, you must. Men, stand up. Men, you're the head of the household. Your husbands your fathers, your grandfathers. It is your responsibility to know your authority in Christ Jesus, 
to bind and to loose and to exercise it on a daily basis to protect your family and everything that concerns your well-being, spiritually, physically, financially. Don't look to your wife. I'm fortunate I've got a wife that can do it. But don't expect your wife to exert her authority. You have to do it, man. You have to take authority in the name of Jesus. And you need to bind sickness and disease. You need to bind poverty, lack, and debt. I'll just go on Sunday and the preacher will do it. See, we're coming in a time, it's not going to be that way anymore. If you're going to be successful in the days ahead, man, you're going to have to use your authority in Christ Jesus. You can sit down, thank you. Every born-again believer has authority and the legal right to use the name of Jesus, but not all believers have revelation of that authority or walk in it. This man did, Smith Wigglesworth. If I could go back in a time, I'd just love to go back to a service with him. Amen? That would be, that would be something. But why can't we have a Smith Wigglesworth in this generation? Why should we just be reading by John, about John G. Lake, Amy Simple McPherson, Smith Wigglesworth? We need some to rise up now. He says this, he says, When people received healing under Wigglesworth's ministry, it was not merely a result of God's answering prayer, because often, instead, this is what I want you to see, Often, instead of saying a prayer for the needy, Wigglesworth spoke the word to them, just like Joshua did. He spoke directly to the sun and moon. When Peter and John went to pray at the temple, they were confronted with the desperate need of the man who was lame from birth, laid at the gate of the temple to beg for alms. This man was expecting to receive some monetary contribution from Peter and John. Instead, they said, look on us. And we perhaps would have said, what kind of presumption is this? Who are these guys anyway? They surely have some nerve. But then Peter spoke these remarkable words. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Then he leaped up and stood and walked. Note the words, such as I give, such as I have, give I thee. This, he said, was the ministry of impartation. Wigglesworth ministered on this level. Wigglesworth knew his authority. He knew what he had. When I pray, I pray loud many times. Did you know that? Loudness is associated with authority. Now, there's times I don't, you don't need to pray loud. But there are times when you're dealing with something, you have to take your authority in Christ Jesus and raise your voice. He says, he once told me a story, Wigglesworth told the author, a story that he had while staying in the home of a, uh, of a evidently like a, a minister of, of the Church of England. He and this minister were sitting together talking after supper. No doubt the subject of their conversation was this minister, this poor fellow had no legs. 
Artificial limbs in those days were unlike the sophisticated limbs of today. Wiggles were said to the man quite suddenly, which he often did when ministering in cases like this, go and get a new pair of shoes in the morning. This poor fellow thought it was some kind of a joke. However, after Wigglesworth and the minister had retired to the respective rooms for the night, God said to the minister, do as my servant has said. What a designation for any person, my servant. God was identifying himself with Wigglesworth. There was no sleep for the man that night. He rose up early, went downtown, stood waiting for the shoe shop to open. The manager eventually arrived, opened the shop for business. The minister went in and sat down. Presently, an assistant came and said, Good morning, sir. Can I help you? And the man said, Yes. Go get me a pair of shoes, please. The man said, Yes, would, uh, yes, sir. Size and color. And the man hesitated. And the assistant then saw the condition the minister was in. He said, Sorry, sir. We can't help you. It's all right, young man. But I, I do want a pair of shoes, size 8, color black. The assistant went to get the requested shoes. A few minutes later, he returned and handed them to the man. The man put one stump into a shoe, and instantly a foot and a leg formed. That's the working of miracles. Yeah. <laughs> then the same thing happened with the other leg. Now, I, I grew up in the shoe business. I can't imagine somebody like that coming in. I'd fall off the shoe probably. <laughs> think, my God, what happened? He walked out of that shop not only with a new pair of shoes, but with a new pair of legs. Wigglesworth was not surprised. Now, he expected this result. Now, listen, he often made remarks like this. As far as God is concerned, there's no difference between forming a leg and healing a broken bone. The point is this, and this is what I want you to see today. This is what Joshua did. This is what you can do. Wigglesworth did not pray for the man. He told him what to do, and the man just did it. So prayer just isn't saying a nice prayer. Passive, you know, bless me, bless you and bless your family prayer. It's speaking the word. Man, I already had you stand up. Stand up again. What was the thing I told I forgot. What was I told you before? Use your, exercise your authority in Christ Jesus. See, the next thing you need to do, you need to speak to the mountain. Speak to the circumstance. Speak to the situation, whatever it is. It's not, oh, Father, please help me deliver my family. Speak to the mountain. Speak to the circumstance. Declare and decree a thing, and it shall be established for you, and light shall shine upon your pathway. Sit down, Joshua and Caleb. There's no Joshua's here. There's a Caleb. Sit down. I'm talking about you need to have that same spirit of Joshua and Caleb. Speak the word with authority. One more scripture. Look at Matthew 8. I'm going a little longer today, but that's all right. You don't need to go eat. You ate Thanksgiving meal. You could go a week on it. I could go on a week on what I ate. I'd still have to have my toast at night, though. They make fun of me because I have toast before I go to bed. It's just a standing joke with jelly. Lots of jelly. Matthew 8. I want to read this to you. I've been reading this, this scripture this week and looking at it and meditating upon it and thinking about it. And it's about authority. But the guy that's 
understood this authority was a Gentile. He wasn't even a Jew. Listen to this in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant's lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only what? Only what? Speak a word and my servant will be healed. This just blows my mind. This guy had such revelation and it blew Jesus' mind too. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes. To another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. (laughs) He marveled. And said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east, the west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. That's, you, you should meditate on that. This man wasn't even born again. We're born again. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've been given delegated authority and we're supposed to use it on planet Earth to advance the kingdom of God. Now listen to this statement. It's the last one I'm going to make. Those of you that might be young Christians, young in the Lord, listen to what I'm saying. A believer will never operate in his God-given authority until he's been under authority. I'll say it again. A believer will never operate in his or her God-given authority until they've been under authority. In other words, you're not going to operate effectively because we already read to you about Jesus was not only the king, but he was a... He was a what? Servant. So if you think, Caden, you're going to have a ministry, then you better learn how to serve. And that applies to everyone here. Especially anyone that senses a call on their life to be a fivefold ministry gift. You better learn how to serve now. And be accountable to those in authority now. But if you just go out there and you start operating in authority that you don't even understand, you're going to get in trouble. A believer will never operate in his God-given authority until they've been under authority. So what do we learn today? We need to pray. What kind of prayers? Kingdom-minded prayer. Big prayers. Why pray big prayers? Because you have a kingdom mindset. Say, I have a kingdom mindset. Number two, you're called to stand in the gap for others. Say, I'm called to stand in the gap for others. That's what intercession is. Number three, you know you can boldly exercise your authority. Say this, I can boldly exercise my authority in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today.
If you've ever been harassed, have you ever felt like you're, you're harassed by the devil? Amen. Just, just sit, things are going on. You don't like what's going on. I'm telling you today, know who you are and use your authority. And some of you need to quit going and asking somebody else to pray for you. I'm going to dismiss after this. And I'm going out that door. Some of you need to quit asking other people to pray. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, you pray. You take authority. You bind and loose. You show the devil who you are. You don't mess with me. You don't mess with my family. You don't, you, you leave my family alone. You leave my church alone. Get the hell out of my community. Quit harassing our school board and our superintendent. We're believing God for a miracle there. Quit complaining about the mayor. I don't like him either. But use your authority and start using that authority. And believe God for another mayor in the days ahead. Don't wait till the election. Start now. Boy, it got real quiet. But it's the truth. We whine and complain. But we won't do something about it. I think we should have a repent service. Father, today we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Father, forgive us for complaining about the situation. Help us, Spirit of grace, to stand as men and women of God and use our authority in Christ Jesus to bind and to loose. You've not called us to be weak and wimpy, but strong and bold. So, Lord, today, I ask you, Spirit of grace, a spirit of boldness to come upon the people of Harvest Church in the remainder of this year and the days coming, this new year that's coming. A 2023, a year of exercising your authority in Christ Jesus. Not just for your family, but for your community, for your state, for your nation, for the world. Thank you, Father. These people don't just hear your word, but they're doers of your word. So, Lord God, I thank you. I believe, Father, that you're raising up a strong and bold and aggressive people here at Harvest Church. And some will be offended and some will be angered, but will not stop because we're kingdom-minded in all that we set our hand to and all that we pray about. And Father, I thank you for sending more kingdom-minded people here to help. In the name of Jesus, 
We thank you, Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Is there anyone here today you need prayer for your physical body?